celebrating 25 years of Utah's outdoor and Western lifestyle, Western Life Radio is coming up next. Play safe on the water. In Utah, youth 12 to 17 must pass an approved safety class prior to operating personal watercraft on Utah waters. Classes are offered statewide. Register now or get more information by calling 801-538-BOAT. Visit stateparks.utah.gov. This message brought to you by the Utah State Parks Boating Program. Summer has officially begun, and Sportsman's Warehouse has everything you need for your next outdoor adventure. From hiking to camping to shooting, ready for some fishing? Sportsman's Warehouse has all the rods, reels, baits, and nets you need for success. And hunting season will be here before you know it, so bring in your bows for free tune-ups. The best part of all is that at Sportsman's Warehouse, you'll find knowledgeable people who are passionate about what they do, and they will get you just what you need. Visit us at seven Utah locations. Sportsman's Warehouse. Take it outside. If you would like a little more from your range experience than standing and shooting holes in paper, come and train with us. TaylorGunsmithing.com Get connected with lightning-fast internet and telephone service through Rise Broadband. Formerly Digis, Rise Broadband raises the bar to internet service, connecting you with family, friends, businesses, and information you need every day. Rise Broadband is dedicated to connect customers with people and things that they value most, covering rural, remote, and suburban areas. Whether you're researching the latest news, enjoying the latest blockbuster movie, or chatting with friends, Rise Broadband provides reliable connections for everyone. For more information, visit risebroadband.com or call 844-411-RISE. Again, that's 844-411-RISE. Get ready to ride PWCs and OHVs this summer season with Utah State Parks Online Education. OHV education is required for youth aged 8 to 15, and PWC education is required for youth aged 12 to 17. Utah's personal watercraft and off-highway vehicle youth education programs required by law are now online at www.stateparks.utah.gov. Celebrate the 60th anniversary of Utah State Parks with an annual State Parks Pass. Visit Utah's crown jewels throughout the year with a wide range of activities for your entire family. From boating and fishing to special events or educational opportunities, Utah State Parks offers plenty of adventures, scenery, and memories. An annual State Park Pass gives your family day use access to most of Utah's 43 parks, featuring history, beauty, and recreation. $75 annual passes are good for 12 months from date of purchase. And don't forget to make camping reservations year-round. Options include tent sites, deluxe RV sites, cabins, yurts, and teepees. Stop by the trailhead for your next outdoor adventure at stateparks.utah.gov.
Western Life Radio with your host, Brian Brinkerhoff. Camping in the mountains, fishing in a stream. The great outdoors is where you want to be. Mr. Alex Grover with Utah Gardeners joins us once again in the garden. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes with us. Hey, it's a great time to come visit with y'all, and I love working with the hardest working man in radio, and got some good topics to cover, and great opportunity to share it. It certainly is. It's a great time. August, things are starting to come to fruition here. You know, we're starting to see things show up. The peaches are showing up already. I've already uh, tasted a couple of those Diamond Princess peaches from the south end of the county. It's just starting to taste really good out there. The corn is on, tomatoes are coming on, beans. There's a little of everything right now. Yeah, those Diamond Princess. I haven't heard about those yet. It's one of the earlier ones. They are so amazingly sweet. They're one of my favorite ones to kick off the peach season. And then there's several other varieties that follow on its tails. Every other, seems like about every 10 days, there's another variety worth sampling. Yeah, the traditional one is the Red Haven for earliness or reliance. And you cut me off flat-footed on that Diamond Princess peach. I'm going to have to check that out, see if I can find any for the nursery. I get the feeling it's going to be a little bit rare right now. If you can find it, you'd be a hero for me. I've looked for that many times, and I cannot find them anywhere. I don't know where they picked up their stock for them. That's a tricky one for me. I suspect that they released them in large amounts to the orchard producers first, and then they finally trickle down to the rest of us. I don't know. I'll have to check into that what I can find. If you can, that would be awesome. And peaches are so amazing. They're so juicy and they're so full of flavor. And my goodness, there's so many things you can do with a peach too. There are. And first of all, let's hit the planting first. First of all, you can plant a peach so you can get them ripened every two weeks or every 10 days, just like you said earlier. I mean, that's one of the things I love about peaches. I can have them ripening for months and I can have fresh peaches almost continuously for months. And that's really cool. So you've got to hit that first. So when you buy your peaches, don't get all one type of peach. Stagger it. Stagger it so you have different varieties and different flavors and different times they ripen. And then once you got that, there's a lot of stuff you can do. Now, there's nothing that beats a good fresh peach fresh off the tree. In fact, I actually had my first nectarine today at work. Excellent, excellent. And nectarine's just a peach without fuzz. That's really all it is. They're the same species. It's just a mutation. So with peaches, my favorite thing in my home is peach cobbler. I use the recipe out of the Better Homes and Gardens cookbook, and that's what I got raised with was this recipe. We don't cheat with any cake mixes or anything like that. I make a biscuit that's a sweet biscuit, and I'll heat up the peaches with a little bit of water, usually just the water from the peach, the bottles of peaches. If I'm doing bottled, or I may have to add a little bit of fresh water for fresh peaches. Put a little corn syrup, a little sugar, a little spice in it. I put them in the pan, bake it, and that's peach cobbler to me. All these tricks of quick and easy peach cobbler, eh, they're all right. I don't want to diss anybody, but to me, peach cobbler is going and getting that peach cobbler. Anything else is just not the same for me. Takes the um, front seat. Yeah. 
I know for a lot of people, peach pie is where it's at. And I certainly don't begrudge a good peach pie. It's not by any stretch. If you want to make me one, let me know. I'll take it. <laughs> but there's also other peach things. Peach leather. Dried peaches have always been a favorite at my house. And the last couple of years, I've been experimenting with some colonial recipes. And one of them I really like is called shrub. And it throws a lot of people off because it's got vinegar in it. But it is one of the best tasting drinks I've ever had. Essentially what I do is just slice up peaches into a container. I've filled up with enough vinegar to cover it. I'll stick it in the fridge for five, seven days, or even two weeks. I'll take it out, I'll strand out all the liquid, get as much liquid as I can out, and then I'll put it in a saucepan, slowly heat it. I don't want to boil it. Then I'll add sugar to taste. Usually somewhere between half the volume of the liquid to one volume in the sugar is what I'd add. So if I get a couple of liquid, I'll do half a cup to a cup of sugar. I tend to go a little bit lighter on the sugar than some of the recipes. And this has become one of my favorite summertime drinks. And I don't do it just peaches. I'll do it with raspberries. I'll do it with blackberries. I'll do it with strawberries. I'll do it with apricots. I'm finishing some off now that was just wonderful that I used apples and mint on. And so it's one of those unique, really, really old-fashioned things to do that's really just refreshing and it tastes good and it's a great way to use your fruit, especially when it's starting to push the limits of how much longer you can keep it. Because you're using vinegar in it, it preserves it actually pretty well and the flavor is really good. It truly is. In fact, there's a little bit of a comeback I've noticed. I sampled recently... I'm trying to remember what the flavor was, but it was really good. It was one of our local grocery stores. I think it might have been Harmon's, maybe. I'm not sure. I was a little surprised to see it on the shelf. They were sampling it, and it really cuts your thirst, and it's a delicious drink. Yeah, it is. And, you know, people get scared because of the vinegar, and if you use vinegar wrong or too strongly, it can be really heavy. But in a shrub, you're controlling your sugar and your vinegar carefully, get the right blend and so you don't just throw it together like you're putting kool-aid together ah here's my package of kool-aid here's my sugar perfect measurements you know you've got to be able to play with it a little bit so there is a little bit of art in it it's not just an easy fix but it is so worth it and i ran into it in the colonial heritage festival last year and one of the ladies that are cooking was very very generous and shared an excellent blackberry shrub with me. And so I came home, and I was like, okay, apricots are about ready. Those apricots are going into a shrub. And so I actually, a couple months ago, started looking forward to it. And I would have done apricot this year, but my tree has got totally frosted out, so I have no fruit this year. That's what peaches are for. They'll hopefully pick it up for you. I haven't got a peach tree yet, but I'll be up in my in-laws. I'll be checking out their peaches here pretty quick because gotta have my peaches gotta have my peaches peach shrub i certainly encourage people to look at alternative ways of enjoying some of these fruits of the harvest you know i mean there's so many different ways to do it a lot of us kind of get into a rut we eat corn the same way we boil it or do whatever you know i've really fallen in love with putting it on the grill i mean there's some caramelized notes in there the sweetness kicks into gear it's a totally different flavor when you put it on the grill yeah, it is. I've done grilled corn before, but last year I had it fresh from the garden. 
because I actually had a place to have a garden. And I just took it, husked it, actually I de-soaked it and put the husks back on it. So I actually pulled them off and I put them on the grill and I had a mixture of wood. Some of it was from my walnut tree. Oh my goodness. But that is the best corn I've ever had. The best corn I've ever had. And you can't really do that when you're just relying on your kitchen for cooking. Our modern kitchens are very effective. They're very efficient. We have these great gas ovens or electric ovens that are easy to control temperature. You know, there's not a lot of guesswork or anything. But, man, you want good food. You take it out. You cook it on coals. You cook it on wood. Get out the Dutch oven. Get out the grill. And even a Dutch oven, you're not getting a lot of smoky flavor in it. But I'm telling you, there's a difference. There is a difference in the flavor, and you cannot explain it. In the kitchen, it's almost too sterile, isn't it, as far as flavors? You know, you add that smoky note to it, and suddenly it's like a new dimension of flavors that people miss out on, I think, especially in the summer. Yeah, and really, we just miss out on it when we don't take advantage of some of that cooking. You don't have to cook outside every day. You don't have to buy an expensive grill. My grill is salvaged from a foreclosed home back when I was working in the foreclosed home business. It's not an expensive grill anyway. I'll use the combination of wood and charcoal, but a lot of the wood comes from my own pruning, and I'm trying to preserve as much as I can from my own property for either woodworking projects or for cooking. And so you don't need to have this be expensive because a lot of these things are easy to do. And you really don't even need to go out and get charcoal for it. We get kind of stuck on charcoal, but most folks out here in Utah have trees and we have maples and we may even have an oak if we're lucky. We've almost always got fruit trees. And all this wood is typically good for cooking. And that's a real experience to cook that way and not just the gas grill. My dad got a gas grill. I just about disowned it. But there's just this extra dimension, and you have to experience it. And if you've gotten used to having your gas grill, go out and put together a little bit of something on a real fire, and you're going to find out that you missed it when you went to gas. You missed it. It's not the same. Even if you're putting wood chips in there and smoking and all that jazz, it's not as good. And there's a bit of mastery involved. To tame the flame and do it right for a long period of time is a challenge. I fully acknowledge that. A lot of people go gas because it is simpler. But man, when you do a barbecue, a real barbecue, where you're cooking anywhere between six hours or four to six hours or 18 hours overnight to cook a brisket or something, there's a dimension of flavor. There's a totally different culinary experience. And I have all respect for people who can do that and do it well. Yeah. And, you know, I've never done a long cook on that. I mean, I've just never done it that long. But I'll tell you another thing you need to do. If you're going to use a sauce, don't just go there and buy your favorite sauce at the store. When I was little, I didn't know the barbecue sauce came in a bottle. Didn't even know it. And so when I barbecue now, most of the time I'll go in and I'll put together a barbecue sauce. It'll have some vinegar, quite often some ketchup, sometimes some honey, sometimes some molasses, sometimes just straight white sugar usually a little bit of mustard, and I'll spice it differently. I rarely do anything like this the same time every time. I just don't. And 
whenever I do that, my daughter, she can tell the difference. She loves it when I make homemade barbecue sauce. I don't even need to tell her that it's homemade, but she just needs to like, what'd you use on this, Dad? What'd you use on this um, barbecue sauce? Where'd you get it? Where'd you get it? I made it. And she kind of gets this wistful look in her eyes. <laughs> but that's what happens when I make my own sauce. She notices it. When I use a store-bought sauce, she doesn't. It doesn't matter whether she knows it or not. She notices it. So, you know, she finds out because she notices the flavor. Don't ask me how it's different. I just don't know how it differs with what they put in it commercially, but there's a difference, and it's worth it. And, uh, you know, that's why I still do it that way is because I don't get the same results from a bottle. And, again, there's no reason why I can't give you a good example of anything. It just is. It works better. The family notices it. So go out and do your own stuff. I mean, get online. You can get a simple barbecue recipe easily. I'd share mine, but it's never the same, so that would just be confusing. <laughs> That's part of the story, too, though. You know, I mean, a good meal to me anymore, there's a story behind that food. Where do those ingredients come from? Did it come from your own garden? Did the cheese come from a local artisan cheesemaker? What's the story behind the milk? Was it a local honey? There's something special about it. To me, that adds another dimension to the meal. If you make your own barbecue sauce or if you prepare it, something unique or different, and it's different. It varies. You know, there's some variability. It's not consistent. That's part of the experience, too. You know, I mean, that delight, that little extra bonus for your taste buds. Consistency kills the joy in food. I mean, I know every food place out there is going to say, well, we need to have the same thing for our customers, whether it be the same mediocrity to certain restaurants, fast food joints or the best sit-down meal in Paris, they want it consistent because that's how they continually bring in customers. But, you know, I'm not selling this to customers. It needs to be good enough for my family to eat, and then the variation's going to come in. And it's never, it will never be the same when I cook something. I don't care what it is. It's never the same. You notice different things when you have that. That's true. I know the cucumbers are coming on for pickling, and... That's a lot of fun. You know, I mean, there's thousands of recipes for cucumbers or for pickles, and I love a good pickle, especially one that's homemade. Okay, now here's the challenge, right? Here's the challenge. Cucumbers make good pickles. What else are you going to pickle out of your garden this year? That's a good question. There's so many things to pick out of there. And a good cabbage, when you make sauerkraut out of it, is a lot of fun, too. Yeah, there's that old German background coming through now, isn't it? I'm not usually a fan of sauerkraut, but I will say this, I had some excellent, excellent sauerkraut in Germany, in, in Parsburg. It wasn't even in one of the bigger towns. It was kind of a small town, Parsburg. And that is the best. And I don't like sauerkraut. That is the best sauerkraut I've ever had. The only thing I can figure is the spicing they used. I swear they used either mace or nutmeg in there. Oh, it made such good kraut. I want to go back to Parsburg just for that sauerkraut. And I've had sauerkraut in a few other places in Germany, including Nuremberg, and it's sauerkraut, and I don't care for it that much. But, man, I don't have any cabbage this year, but next year I think I'm going to do cabbage just so I can do my own kraut. Try just a little bit of nutmeg and see if it'll work because that was good stuff. 
but also with pickling. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. I've got a poetry book somewhere here that my mom had growing up, and it's really quite good poetry, more modern poetry. And the title was Gift of Watermelon Pickles, I think. Mm. Now, I've never had these. I've never had these, but I'm thinking now that I've got some room to grow stuff, I may have to make my own watermelon pickles and see how they turn out. Also, last year, I was talking to a lady down the street, and she's a retired lady, a little bit older than we are, and I was showing her the purslane weeds in my garden and explaining how they're edible and explaining the difference between that and some of the other plants that look sort of similar. And she went home, and she gathered up all her purslane, she stuck it in a bottle, and she pickled it. I think all she actually did was throw vinegar on top. It wasn't a very complex, spicy pickle. That purslane makes a slam-dunk pickle. I would be pleased to have that any day of the week. I might even win a competition against a cucumber pickle. It was good. Sterling was out weeding the garden the other day, and he left the purslane in place so he could harvest that. And he wants to pickle some this year, actually. That's kind of interesting you bring that up. And, you know, pickled peppers. I love pickled banana peppers. Nothing beats pickled banana peppers in my book for pizza or so many other applications. I love to eat those on burgers. I love to eat those on the pizza. Eat them just plain. I can pop them into my mouth for hours. Those are good. And I love the banana peppers because, yeah, I'm not a heat freak. I've got a fairly sensitive sense of taste. You put a lot of heat in there, and it blocks everything else out. And so I really, really like that banana because... It's not too hot. It's a little bit sweet. You get the vinegar in there. Oh, yeah. That's a good pepper. Love those. Love those. And it's always kind of funny when you think you're getting banana pepper and you get one of those little warmer ones. <laughs> you know, you pop that in your... It turns your nose red and turns your ears red and you start sweating. And it's a little different experience than what you expected. Yeah. So, anyway, that's one thing. We've kind of focused on some different foods here, but, you know, the berries are coming on now. And there's some really great berries out there. You know, raspberries and blackberries. My blackberries, I've not had the chance, but they're ripe, so I need to go out and start collecting those. I don't have a lot of bushes yet, but I'm going to probably propagate a few more over this winter so that I've got a real patch out there. But I love my blackberries. You can put them in pies. You can put them in a shrub. You can put them in juice. Pretty well, you make a blackberry and you can't go wrong. You can mix it with chocolate, it tastes excellent. And so, it's just really a lot of good stuff. One thing I do encourage people on is take a step back. Get your favorite fruits, yes. Take a step back and look at some of the stuff you might not have tried yet. Now, right now, there's a lot of new stuff. Gojis, gomis, and honeyberries and all this, but... Take a step back and then look back even further. And there's a few things that you might want to pay attention to that are really used to be popular in the U.S. The first two on that list are gooseberries and currants. Now, in the 1930s, the federal government outlawed a lot of those because they were afraid of disease transfer between those and white pines. And so until the 60s, those were really not legal to grow because the federal government said you can't. They were almost unavailable, although my mom knew about them, so I learned them from her. And I had a client come in last week. Now, the gooseberries come on a little bit earlier, so most of those are gone now. But I pulled a gooseberry off one of the shrubs. I think it was my last gooseberry at work, and I gave it to her. She popped it in her mouth, 
and actually I had two of them now I remember, and I gave one to her husband, and he popped in her mouth. And she looked at me and said, I have to have this. That's how good some of these fruits are that we've forgotten. So while the harvest of these is over, go out and look for some gooseberries and currants. I can promise you one or the other of them will hit your fancy spot, and you will decide that you have to have that. Having said that, don't get the stuff that's canned in the store. It is nasty, and it does not come anywhere near to the quality that you will get by going out and getting your gooseberries fresh. I can tell from the taste. They picked them a little bit early, and they weren't ripe yet. This is nasty. But you go out and you get your own shrubs and get them on time when they're ripe. You will have an experience that is worth writing home about, if you're not already home. I'm already sold on them. We actually have some ourselves and enjoy them throughout the season and nothing like them. You know, it's just a nice little treat to pop in your mouth when the summer heat is on. Yeah, and, you know, the classic American gooseberry pie, it is a classic dish, and we should be seeing that every year in every home. That's just the way it should be. So there's my little plug for the long-forgotten fruits, really good quality, and they'll do well in shade. They'll do better in shade than in full sun, so keep that in mind. Let's take a quick break. Be back in a few minutes. We're visiting with Mr. Alex Grover with Utah Gardeners. Stick around. More fun is on the way here on Western Life Radio. Connected with lightning fast internet and telephone service through Rise Broadband. Formerly Digis, Rise Broadband raises the bar to internet service, connecting you with family, friends, businesses, and information you need every day. Rise Broadband is dedicated to connect customers with people and things that they value most, covering rural, remote, and suburban areas. Whether you're researching the latest news, enjoying the latest blockbuster movie, or chatting with friends, Rise Broadband provides reliable connections for everyone. For more information, visit risebroadband.com or call 844-411-RISE. Again, that's 844-411-RISE. When carrying a firearm, always treat it as if it were loaded. Always keep your finger off the trigger until your sights are on target and you're ready to fire. Never let your muzzle point at anything you're not willing to destroy. And always be sure of your target, its environment, and any other safety hazards. This announcement has been brought to you by TaylorGunsmithing.com. Summer has officially begun, and Sportsman's Warehouse has everything you need for your next outdoor adventure. From hiking to camping to shooting, ready for some fishing? Sportsman's Warehouse has all the rods, reels, baits, and nets you need for success. And hunting season will be here before you know it, so bring in your bows for free tune-ups. The best part of all is that at Sportsman's Warehouse, you'll find knowledgeable people who are passionate about what they do and they will get you just what you need. Visit us at seven Utah locations. Sportsman's Warehouse. Take it outside. 
Get online, on board, and on track with Utah State Parks online education for OHVs and PWCs. OHV education is required for youth aged 8 to 15, and PWC education is required for youth aged 12 to 17. Utah's personal watercraft and off-highway vehicle youth education programs required by law are now online at www.stateparks.utah.gov. Let's hit the lake. Put on your life jackets and let's go. But mom, when will I be old enough so I won't drown and I don't have to wear my life jacket? Will I be invincible just like you? Sweetie, I'm not invincible. I need my life jacket too. Anyone can drown, no matter how old they are. Accidents do happen. Protect yourself and set an example. Wear the proper safety gear when you're on the water. Please remember, nobody is invincible. Celebrate the 60th anniversary of Utah State Parks with an annual State Parks Pass. Visit Utah's crown jewels throughout the year with a wide range of activities for your entire family. From boating and fishing to special events or educational opportunities, Utah State Parks offers plenty of adventures, scenery, and memories. An annual State Park Pass gives your family day use access to most of Utah's 43 parks, featuring history, beauty, and recreation. $75 annual passes are good for 12 months from date of purchase. And don't forget to make camping reservations year-round. Options include tent sites, deluxe RV sites, cabins, yurts, and teepees. Stop by the trailhead for your next outdoor adventure at stateparks.utah.gov. Only in the forest can you see this. And this. And this. But nothing beats the moment you see that. Cool! That's your child's eyes opening up to a world of possibilities. I didn't know it could do that! Because one trip to the forest can spark a world of difference. There are some moments only the forest can inspire. Find yours at discovertheforest.org. Learn about forests near you and discover cool things to do when you go, like hiking, canoeing, fishing, or camping. Or create your own adventure with family and friends and you might just see this. Your moment's out there. Find it at discovertheforest.org. That's discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Now back to Western Life Radio with your host, Brian Brinkerhoff. Welcome back to Western Life Radio. I'm Brian Brinkerhoff, host of this program. We have Mr. Alex Grover with us with Utah Gardeners. And you know, this is a busy time of year. We're not just harvesting. We're also continuing a lot of work to ensure those future harvests coming in. You know, one thing about time of year is we kind of focused on harvest, but there's still a lot of work to do. I don't know about your garden, but I've still got a lot of weed issues. I mean, you've got a lot of little laborers. I don't have any left in my household anymore. But we need to get out there and we need to watch our weed control and make sure the morning glory doesn't overtake us right this time of year because that's kind of hard. So you've got to keep that in check and make sure it doesn't come back to bite you later on. And also right now, we've got a lot of the summer flowers that are going just gangbusters. And, you know, a lot of these flowers will keep going for a long time, but they'll need some deadheading. 
and that is just going in, cutting out the flowers that are spent, and keep the plant from producing seed, because if it produces seed, it'll stop blooming, or at least slow down. So if you're looking like Shasta daisies, Echinacea, even salvia, I've still got my, my salvias blooming right now. I need to go out this week, cut it again, and I should be able to get another bloom out of it. Keep up with some of these garden paths because you're going to still be getting productivity from it, with your flower garden especially, but also with your vegetable garden. And one thing I'm also going to point out, I've been seeing this online, people have been growing these baseball bat and zucchini squash. I'm sure you remember that from growing up. I've seen plenty of them <laughs> over the years. That, yeah. Keep an eye on those squashes because your summer squash will have something growing way down in the plant where you can't see it. And you need to make sure that doesn't get left there or you're going to cut your productivity. Also with your squash, your zucchinis, nothing longer than 8 inches. You should be harvesting it somewhere between 6 to 8 inches for it to have the full texture and the flavor that makes the squash best. If you let it get too big, it'll still be edible, but you're going to have big, heavy seeds in there, and you're not going to have that nice, tender, good squash for all these recipes that you get squash for. So don't let your squash get too big. And if you're doing a patty pan, if you let your patty pan get 8 inches across, it's really too big. You're looking at 4 to 5 inches. I'll even pick them at 3 inches, and they're really good then. They get bigger than that, and you get them seedy. And last year at the farmer's market, I went up to a guy. He was selling squash. All those patty pans, I think, were evenly sized at 8 inches. I mean, okay, I'm not going to buy that. I'm not going to spend money on it, on food that's too large and that I'm going to have to fight the seeds on. So keep that in mind when you're harvesting. There are certain things you have to harvest early. If you don't get peas and beans when they're small, you're going to get tough beans. And I got a lot of tough beans when I was a kid growing up because I never picked them the right size. Now I'd rather pick them too small than even pick them right if I think there's any question. I'll pick them small, and they're much more pleasant that way. Same thing with corn, same thing with the herbs, too. I mean, if you pick those herbs early, then you'll get multiple harvests off of those, especially the mint. I like to get two or three cuttings off that mint over the course of the summer. Same thing with your basil and other things. If you let them get away, then they'll go to seed, and then they'll just pretty much wrap up for you. Yeah, and when it comes to basil, that has got to be the touchiest one. You see a flower bud on it, nip it. They will still retain good quality until they get pollinated. Once that first little bit gets pollinated on a branch, that branch is, boom, the flavor's gone. So you've got to be on top of it. I'm out there. I do a lot of hand watering. My irrigation system's pretty messed up, and it's going to take a lot of time for me to get it all restored. But the basil is something I've got to jump on, get the buds off of that, or I'm going to lose all my flavor. And mint, to me, is like hearty. Yeah, it'll bloom. It'll taste okay. Basil will not. Basil, there's no compromise. It blooms, it's done. And you were bouncing back a little bit on keeping ahead of the weeds. One thing I've noticed this year, especially with the bindweed, bindweed was really early as far as getting uh, powdery mildew on it. A lot of the powdery mildews are host-specific. They're a limited number of hosts. But I would have to actually do more checking to know what types will affect what plants. And that's hard because we look at powdery mildew, we think 
it's the same disease. It's actually a bunch of diseases that are related. Really? So I don't know which way it is, but I can tell you that regardless right now, this time of year, the pumpkins and the squash are going to start building up powdery mildew. The weather seems just right for it. Sometimes it'll take long. I prefer them to not get started on that till September. Most of the time, though, I don't treat them. I let it run its course. And I just figure this late in the season, the plant's got to take care of itself and finish getting its fruit put together. Because really, powdery mildew is actually kind of difficult to treat. One of these years, I'll use the, one of the powdered milk recipes, see if that does much good. But again, with annuals, they'll kind of hit it. It'll run its course. And by the time it's actually doing enough damage to the plant, you're going to have a harvest and it won't matter anymore. Interesting. So that powdery mildew that is on the bindweed is a different species of powdery mildew than what you would see on the squash plants? I believe so, and that's something that bears out some checking. I don't think that that's going to transfer between those two, and the powdery mildew on your roses is also not going to transfer around like that. You may get something between a rose and an apple because they're much more closely related, or perhaps a squash and a melon. Again, I'm not entirely sure how extensive, and I'd probably have to do some really detailed research into the various types of powdery mildew to know just exactly how much they'll spread. Hmm. I learned something new again. That's what I like about these interviews. I learned something new every time. The worst thing is, is I've been pulling your leg for years. It's all live. <laughs> That's a good one for me. You know, we've been extra careful, trying to be extra careful not to get in contact with the pumpkin plants and the other ones because we thought they were the same thing. But if it's not, then maybe we don't need to be quite so careful. Yeah, and again, that bears out some research. If you're not familiar with Google Scholars out there in Radio Land or Google Scholar, that's a great way to get a lot of your research focused on actual research papers, science papers, rather than the neighborhood blog, which you know, mine are great, right? But go to the source, and if you read something, if, and on a blog, which I'm not saying don't read blogs, but if you read something, by all means, go check it out and see if the science really backs up what they're saying. True, and you do see quite a few quote-unquote geniuses. Anybody with a blog site can be a genius, supposedly, and point thousands of people the wrong direction half the time. Or the YouTube geniuses. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I've seen some genius beekeepers on YouTube I learned to steer away from in a hurry when we were first starting. And that's another one that where everybody's a genius on it or everybody's an expert and half of them don't make any sense. Or they just do stupid things. I remember once where he was running a top bar hive and he had some problems. And so his solution was just to get his gloves on and start scooping everything out of the bottom of the hive. Everything. I mean, he broke every single home on there and oh my gosh you just had to put your head in your hand and shake it and just oh you want to know another one is you get on youtube and watch some of the tree pruning videos where all the geniuses think they know what they're doing and tree falls in the house it falls in the kid it falls on them not too long ago somebody got on utah gardeners and had a really legitimate tree question and there's a lot of you-do-it-yourself type people. And one guy was recommending, you know, you hook it to your truck and you pull it. And 
they don't put too much tension on it, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you know, it might have worked for you, but you know, pulling it with a vehicle puts a lot of strain on it. And you can say, well, just put a little bit of pressure. Just put half pressure on it. But those things don't mean anything in a truck. You can throw a rope around a tree, make sure you're far enough away that it won't fall on you. And you can feel what the tree's doing. You know exactly how much pressure to put on it with your body. You cannot feel that with the truck. And I just had to shake my head. And the guy got so mad at me for telling him that it's not a good idea. I finally had to remove him from the page, which is a shame. I mean, I kind of like the guy, but he didn't take counsel very well that he's going to hurt himself if he keeps that up. So that's a shame. But I had to keep the page safe, so. One thought that goes through can easily hurt a lot of other people down the road. Yeah, but back to more cheerful subjects. The weather's starting to cool down. It looks like we're 10-day forecast is going to get maybe into the low 90s, but not consistently every day. And, you know, every week we're going to get just a little bit cooler and a little bit cooler. And I think we're done with 100-degree temperatures and probably even with the mid-90s. And so now we're starting to look at a really great planting season for your trees, your shrubs, and your perennials. Yes, sir. It's time to get those things planted. And like we were talking earlier, we should be looking at the different fruit trees. We should be looking at different options. I know in years past, about this time of year, we talked about where's those places around your home that could use a little extra shade and then always add another dimension of fruit or some type of produce that it can give you as well. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the shade because you know, I walk down the road on my street, and there's a particular house, and it's got this huge wall, both levels, almost no windows, and it's facing west. And I know that that house gets heated up so much. And for the last year or so that I've lived here, I look at the house, and I think, I need to get this guy talking, getting some trees on the west side. It will save him money on his air conditioning, to just go in and to get some covers from trees there. He used to have them, but they got cut down for whatever reason. And I don't think he's realized how much that's affected his heating bill. So I'm glad you brought up the heating, the shade and that, because that really does make a huge difference. My house faces west. Not how I would have designed the house, but, you know, sometimes you just can't be picky. It's a great house, so we live in it, but, but we have that west exposure. And I've got two trees that save my bacon every year, a big old walnut and a somewhat smaller but decent-sized purple-leaf maple. And those things save me a lot on heating and cooling, even though I'm using a swamp cooler, because I'm not getting heated up in the front of the house constantly. That swamp cooler keeps the house cool enough and it's very comfortable. If those trees come out, that's going to change. It's going to be a lot harder for me to keep the house cool. It's a game changer. It truly is. And selection of the right one. And when you select fruit trees or when you select nut trees or whatever you're going to place out there, we've talked about this in the past. Folks out there should always remember what's that mature tree going to look like. Otherwise, it can cause problems with power lines. It can cause problems with your roof. It can cause problems with your sidewalk. Placement, understanding what much space that tree will need is everything. Otherwise, you'll be replacing it within five, ten years. Yeah, you know, a lot of people will copy what they see in industrial landscapes or in commercial landscapes around commercial buildings. And reality is that most of those landscapes aren't there for more than five years. The average lease time on one of these commercial buildings is 
five years. And when that person terminates the lease and they move on to the next new building or whatever, the business owner will quite often give things a facelift, you know, put some new paint on there, a few new fixtures. Then they'll go out and redo the landscape to bring in the next new client. So you look at these commercial buildings and their plan is a five-year landscape. They don't care anything beyond that. And most people I know are looking for a little bit more permanent landscape. And so there's a few things you've got to look at. And one is the, the ultimate size. I mean, the number of landscapes I've seen where they plant a nice-looking shrub when it's just a little thing in a pot, they'll plant it one to two feet away from the sidewalk. Looks great. Three years later, it's trying to take over the sidewalk and catch people and eat them if they try walking along. Because that little shrub then looked great. But full size, starting around three to five years, it's going to reach over the entire sidewalk. So getting your spacing there is important. If the shrub's going to be 10 feet across, it needs to be at least five feet away from that sidewalk, or you're going to be out there trimming it almost constantly. With a tree, minimum, minimum is two feet away from the sidewalk. I usually recommend more if possible because, you know, the smaller trees that won't lift the sidewalk are usually harder to raise the limbs high enough that people don't run into them. So if you can get it more than two inches away, you're going to be a lot happier. If you're looking at a house, if you're looking at a tree five feet away from the foundation, part of that's because the eaves will also usually hang out at least a foot, and part of it is you don't want to have a risk of putting any pressure on your foundation from a trunk or from a really, really big root ball. You look at the top of the tree and what you see there, you might get a two-foot maple, for instance, a two-foot Norway maple, but when you take that down to just below the soil, that expands to four or five feet. So you need to keep that really big root mass away from your building and keep it from doing damage to your building. I had one client, and he literally had a columnar oak planted one foot away from his house. Those get pretty big, don't they? <laughs> They're biggies. Yeah, I mean, it's a columnar. It's going to stay skinny, right? Yeah, skinny is not that skinny. Yes, it'll be narrower than, say, you know, a bur oak, but the trunk's still going to get wide, and it's still going to go more than a foot. I feel bad for this gentleman because it really is architect or landscape designer. It was a fraud. He put in a landscape that looked good instantly, and then it got overgrown, and everything was too tight. It all needs to be either trimmed off the building or totally removed because it's too big. And when you hire a professional to design like that, if you say, oh, I want it to be only good for five years, then okay, fine, that's on you. But most people aren't doing that in their houses. They're expecting that landscape to be a 10, 20, 30, 40-year landscape. They're spending a lot of money for their home landscape, for their own budget, and they want it to be there for a long time. And it's very unethical for a designer or an architect to do some of these things. It's just wrong. I'm glad you brought that up, because I do see that quite often myself, too. I mean, in that specific instance, you know, those trees are huge trees. Aren't those the big ones that are along the sidewalks at BYU? Yeah, they're huge. They're massive. I can only imagine the house next to that. That's just going to dwarf the whole house. That's going to be crazy. Yeah, and what most people don't realize is 
the classic Colner English oak. Now, there are some hybrids and some varieties which may have different habitats, but the classic English Colner oak, like ones you'd see at BYU, are going to stay narrow, yeah, maybe 10 feet, for the first 30 to maybe 40 years. And then when they hit that area somewhere between 30 and 40 years, they have these long stems that are growing up from the base of the tree, and they get just to a certain age, and all at once, all those limbs bend down. And you go from being maybe 10 feet wide, maybe even 15 feet wide, to being 40 feet wide almost overnight. Oh, jeez. The ones at BYU are kept calmer because the tree crew goes up there with bailing twine and secures all those branches so they don't fall over. That's interesting. You know, and I think sometimes some of these landscape architects and some of these folks plan on having it renewed. They think that keeps them in business, I guess. I think is what some of these people do, kind of like our road construction crews do. That's a possibility. I hate to make accusations that I can't back up, but I can tell you right now that I've talked to some very, very fine landscape architects, and most of the good ones had to be in charge of maintaining stuff. And after you maintain it for a couple of years, the way you design changes a lot. It changes a lot. It's like a chef that doesn't spend any time in the kitchen. There's some value for somebody who spends some time on the ground and in the garden and sees what things actually do. Yeah, so if you're ever going to buy a landscape design or get a landscaper to come in and do a lot of the work and a lot of the planning for you, see where they've been. You know, they may have been installing for 20 years, and they may have learned a few things there, and, and I don't want to diss that. But if you really want to get somebody see how much maintenance they've done. Uh, if they've had to take the hedging shears and go after a shrub and make it look ugly because it was just too close to the sidewalk and there was no other choice, they're going to design differently. Good points. Really good things coming up today in today's discussion. I love this time of year. You know, it's really fun. Again, lots to do. You know, the cover crops are a big deal to pay attention to. Pay attention to the harvest. Don't let things get too big. And if you do get too much, you get a little overwhelmed, feel free to share it with neighbors or feel free to share it with someone who might need a little extra nutrition in their homes. It's interesting because we joke about in Utah about the zucchini showing up on the doorstep, put in the car while you're at church. The reality is, is not everyone's got access to the fresh produce. I'm lucky I finally got a garden where I don't have to go get permission and worry about people tromping through or destroying it because they're on adjacent properties and nobody's keeping an eye on it. It's all around my house now. But for a lot of years, I didn't have that. And if you can go and look at your abundance, most people don't use every peach on their tree. Almost nobody uses every apple on their tree. For you to go out and share it and make a point of making it a part of somebody else's life is really, really part of being Christian in my book. Give them good food and give them a chance to eat healthy at least one meal. There's something really significant to that, and we forget it. I was reading the Bible a couple of weeks ago, and it's talking about Cain and Abel, and I think we forget about this because we focus so much on Abel getting killed. But what does the Lord ask Cain? He says, where's your brother? Cain says, oh, I'm not my brother's keeper. And the Lord reprimands him and says, yes, you are. And then to our society, we've gotten so focused on ourselves, we forget we are our brother's keeper. We're supposed to be out there helping them and serving them. 
And any good Christian really needs to keep that in their heart. Now, I realize there are people that are listening to this show who are not Christian, but I've also noticed that most other spiritual traditions do have a tradition of service and of brotherly love. That's very common. And that's something to think about is, what are we doing to help other people? What are we doing to make somebody else's life better? And by sharing your garden, you make their life better. And quite honestly, you sometimes give them a chance at better help. That is really nice. Sharing that harvest shares your story, shares your legacy. Celebrate the 60th anniversary of Utah State Parks with an annual State Parks Pass. Visit Utah's crown jewels throughout the year with a wide range of activities for your entire family. From boating and fishing to special events or educational opportunities, Utah State Parks offers plenty of adventures, scenery, and memories. An annual State Park Pass gives your family day use access to most of Utah's 43 parks, featuring history, beauty, and recreation. $75 annual passes are good for 12 months from date of purchase. And don't forget to make camping reservations year-round. Options include tent sites, deluxe RV sites, cabins, yurts, and teepees. Stop by the trailhead for your next outdoor adventure at stateparks.utah.gov. Let's hit the lake. Put on your life jackets and let's go. But mom, when will I be old enough so I won't drown and I don't have to wear my life jacket? Will I be invincible just like you? Sweetie, I'm not invincible. I need my life jacket too. Anyone can drown, no matter how old they are. Accidents do happen. Protect yourself and set an example. Wear the proper safety gear when you're on the water. Please remember, nobody is invincible. Summer has officially begun, and Sportsman's Warehouse has everything you need for your next outdoor adventure. From hiking to camping to shooting, ready for some fishing? Sportsman's Warehouse has all the rods, reels, baits, and nets you need for success. And hunting season will be here before you know it, so bring in your bows for free tune-ups. The best part of all is that at Sportsman's Warehouse, you'll find knowledgeable people who are passionate about what they do and they will get you just what you need. Visit us at seven Utah locations. Sportsman's Warehouse. Take it outside. Get online, on board, and on track with Utah State Parks online education for OHVs and PWCs. OHV education is required for youth aged 8 to 15, and PWC education is required for youth aged 12 to 17. Utah's personal watercraft and off-highway vehicle youth education programs required by law are now online at www.stateparks.utah.gov. Get connected with lightning-fast internet and telephone service through Rise Broadband. 
formerly Digius, Rise Broadband raises the bar to internet service, connecting you with family, friends, businesses, and information you need every day. Rise Broadband is dedicated to connect customers with people and things that they value most, covering rural, remote, and suburban areas. Whether you're researching the latest news, enjoying the latest blockbuster movie, or chatting with friends, Rise Broadband provides reliable connections for everyone. For more information, visit risebroadband.com or call 844-411-RISE. Again, that's 844-411-RISE. When carrying a firearm, always treat it as if it were loaded. Always keep your finger off the trigger until your sights are on target and you're ready to fire. Never let your muzzle point at anything you're not willing to destroy. And always be sure of your target, its environment, and any other safety hazards. This announcement has been brought to you by TaylorGunsmithing.com. Western Life Radio, a 25-year outdoor and Western lifestyle tradition. Thanks for joining us. May all your days be filled with new adventures. I'm Brian Brinkerhoff. Only in the forest can you see this. And this. And this. But nothing beats the moment you see that. That's your child's eyes opening up to a world of possibilities. I didn't know it could do that! Because one trip to the forest can spark a world of difference. There are some moments only the forest can inspire. Find yours at discovertheforest.org. Learn about forests near you and discover cool things to do when you go, like hiking, canoeing, fishing, or camping. Or create your own adventure with family and friends and you might just see this. Your moment's out there. Find it at discovertheforest.org. That's discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. <laughs> 